Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. I am your host, JT Kane. Uh, I am here with uh, my very good friend, Matt Corey, who is the producer of Behind the Screen. Um, And we are actually here today to talk to you about us. Because... (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly what you thought you would hear. You were so excited to know. We... So... The reason we're doing this is because we assumed everybody knew who the hell we were. You assumed. And I, I did. I assumed, and I assumed incorrectly because apparently nobody knows us. Um, so we wanted to kind of get together, and we're going to be doing this um, throughout the season and just kind of just kind of give you guys a little background on, on, on the, uh, the people we've talked to about us specifically. Um, yeah, so you guys... Uh, have have some more um, inside knowledge as to why we're doing this and and why we're so invested in in behind the screen and also i think my thought for doing these uh in between type episodes is that our interviews aren't going to have like a an expiration date there's nothing really timely and topical in those particular Mm -hmm. podcasts so if we want to get out and talk about something that's happening currently we can do that in this format, which I think will be pretty cool. Very good point. You know, for me, uh, for those of you who don't know me, again, I'm JT Kane. Uh, I actually, um, I, I grew up in Florida, um, and I went to school at University of Miami where Matt and I became friends. I'm a violist. But I am a, a dean at the, the New World Symphony, and I'm the dean of visiting faculty. So I'm also the orchestra manager. So I actually work with a whole bunch of really amazing musicians that I bring to New World to help coach our, our fellows, our orchestra fellows. Uh, so I have a lot of connections that way. Um, and obviously with the New World Fellows, which you've, you've heard already, uh, Charlie Rosemarin, who is our percussion fellow. And then we've actually interviewed a, a bunch of alums as well that you'll hear i don't think we've had an alum on yet uh, yeah so you have far. oh oh no well, we did rebecca yeah well rebecca and also by the time you hear this you'll have heard uh, billy hunter's episode that's right billy hunter was an alum yep and is now a coach that 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 comes in so that's kind of uh so matt came to me he said hey wouldn't it be really cool to do a podcast about auditions specifically and Given that I have a lot of these connections, and I'm I'm so damn charming, and you have a face for radio, I really do. It's God, it's so it's so nice. My wife tells me that all the time. Um, <laughs> that yeah, it would be really cool. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. And so we were supposed to do this in person, live, which we did once. Our fir- our very first interview for the we split it up into two episodes uh, was with Charlie. Rosemary, and we did that in my office, um, and then everything else has been <laughs> has been uh, on the phone, um, and yeah, this virtual thing. It's been good though. I think we've made it work. I never really got to properly thank Charlie for being uh, guest number one, and uh, I feel like I've met our other guests because you know we're all on the the connection at the same time. I wasn't in the room when you interviewed That's Charlie. Right. I thought he was fantastic. He was good. Actually, Charlie was, um, I was, 
Because I, I had talked to Charlie a lot about his his audition that he had taken right before uh, it was the Philadelphia Orchestra audition. And so I was super interested. And that's kind of why I was like, yes, I know the perfect person for our very first episode because it's, it was so interesting to me. Um, but Charlie was great. Very good. Very well spoken. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I got. Hey, do your parents listen? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't know if they do. I finally got my parents to tune in. I don't even know if they know I'm doing this. Oh my gosh. To call your mother. What's wrong with you? I probably should. <laughs> yeah, no, it's for real. Like I know my my siblings know. I bet your mom would be proud. You should tell her. Uh, she would be. I think she she's, she must know. I mean, I post it on Facebook. She follows me on Facebook. She comments a lot mm. on my Facebook stuff. I don't know if she actually knows what she's commenting on because she, it's always the same comment. <laughs> but yeah, um, she's she's very proud of me and she loves me. That's yeah. Pretty much you can expect that from, from my mom. What's kind of funny about our individual trajectories and how we kind of wound up doing this together is that uh, I had a very short stint in uh, arts administration, personnel managing in the early part of the 2000s. Where were you again? Well, for like three months at the Boca Pops. Wait, you were a personnel manager for Boca Pops? For like three months. The season never started be- because we went bankrupt. Oh, my God. So that was, Boca Pops was my very first um, real, quote unquote, professional gig. Yeah. And I would have bossed you around had I had the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, telling me to show up on time. Yeah, and, and that never happened. So then by virtue of me having that great uh, resume builder, mm-hmm. when the Florida Philharmonic was w- moving away from a playing personnel manager to a non-playing personnel manager, uh, I interviewed for that job. And I did that for probably two or three years before the Florida Phil folded. And after that, I'd kind of had enough of folding. Yeah. So um, I got a job at Insight for the Blind. And 17 years later, I'm still there. 17 years, that's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. At that time, you were still gigging and still auditioning because you auditioned for the Florida Phil. I did. And so by the time I was out of arts management, you were headed in. So when I auditioned for Florida Phil was in 2001, I think. That sounds right. And I had just moved. I was a year into living in Mexico. So I lived in Mexico for for, um, eight years. Came back to the States in 2009, and that's kind of when I um, started to think about arts admin. Yeah, and then I I started working for Aspen, and that's kind of what, what really kind of pushed me over the edge to do that. But yeah, it was crazy. I'm glad I did it. It's so much better. That's what I was going to ask, because, you know, there's always, if you're a performer, there's always this little pang when you're administering to performances. You mm-hmm. kind of wish you were involved in the performances. But I'm with you. Like, I prefer to be in the background as well. I mean, I see so many of our, you know, New World Symphony fellows taking auditions. I mean, that's that's their that's their number one goal, is they come to New World and... It's such a weird, it's such a weird um, kind of juxtaposition because you know we want them, you know, welcome to New World, now leave, like go win a job, and you know, so yeah. it's it's um, there's a lot of a lot of pressure, and the dedication that they put into their time at New World 
you see they just the amount of work that they have to do i mean i see there's just there's there's a lot there's with with a full orchestra schedule i think it's a professional 35 week professional orchestra schedule where every single week is a different program they're constantly yeah. doing stuff on top of that there's chamber music on top of that we, we ask them to do you know, certain courses and classes and, and, and community engagement stuff and mm-hmm. then there's lessons for the coaches that come in and then there's then they have to find time to practice to go take an audition mm-hmm. it's crazy so for me i never had that real drive i mean i took a lot of auditions i i did fairly well in some of them I won some, but the big ones that I wanted, it just didn't happen. And it was, it's hard, you know, getting no so many times getting rejected was, was very difficult. And, um, so I was, I really kind of made the decision like, well, what is it that I want to do? How can I best serve the, the industry that I love so much? Yeah. And for me, it wasn't playing anymore. It was, it was really helping people get better and do what it is that they want to do. And so for me, personnel management was, was that kind of way to keep close to the musicians, which I was mm-hmm. kind of afraid. That's, wh- that's why I went in personnel management. I wanted to be close to musicians um, and maintain that contact, but also be able to um, you know, have health insurance. Sure. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, the skill set of a personnel manager is kind of unique in the sense that yeah. you, you have to be fluent in classical music. There's no two ways about it. You, mm-hmm. you can't just be a people person and then come waltzing in and you have to be able to make a string seating and understand orchestrations and right. all, all sorts of things that everyone listening to this already knows. But then on top of that knowledge of music, then you have to be able to be a moderator, uh, be a leader, and uh, be that bridge to management, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a lot of times it's an uncomfortable position. Very uncomfortable. Yes, because you you walk the line between musician and management, and you have to be able to have that that personality that can um, kind of ride that line. It's it's not it's not easy because you a lot of times um, you are the person that everyone shits on. Oh, totally. <laughs> I, I've forgotten about that though. Like I, it's been so long since I've been in that position that I, I've forgotten about that a little bit. But at the time. I do remember thinking, man, this is almost impossible to like to to have everyone feel like you're doing a good job. My administration knows this, um, and they we we often fight about it. But I'm very much pro musician, um, where I, I definitely support the musicians, uh, probably a little bit more than I should, um, because you know, as as an um, a personnel manager, you're working for that organization. Right, so you have to know how to kind of <laughs> push enough that you can support the musicians, but also you're, that you're not going to piss off your boss, right? So that you continue to have a job, right? It's tough because you know the musicians, uh, when they come to you, they're coming to you with a problem, so it's a problem that you have to solve, and in order to solve that problem, you have to take it to the administration, and the administration, if it's going to affect them in any way, they're going to say no. So then you've got to go back to the musician and say, well, no, we can't do that. So then. It's it's tough, man. It's it's your yeah. You get beat up, and if you are the type of person that has a personality that holds on to things like I do, it gets really heavy. <laughs> it gets really heavy. So yeah, um, let it go, baby. I try, man. I try, but you know, you you feel what they feel. Yeah, yeah. I'm only saying this because I'm hoping that New World fellows are listening to this so that they'll actually like me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. They know I don't give a <laughs> shit. Sorry, I do. I feel like like we have all sorts of freedom. It's just you and me. I know, it's weird. 
It is weird. I uh, mean, I haven't. So we can like do segments. All right. I got a segment. Yeah. Let's do like headlines, ripped from the headlines. Excellent. There's so much going on right now in classical music. There really is. We've. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. There, there really is, and I think the hot topic, and and I think um, we've talked to some of our guests that you'll um, eventually hear. Um, but the hot topic, and I think should be on the forefront of every discussion, is about race in in orchestras, and it's about um, screens uh, in auditions. Well, related to that, in an incredible turn of events, the AF of M has endorsed uh, Joe Biden for president. So in case anyone was wondering where the American Federation of Musicians landed on our presidential race, they have officially backed Joe Biden. This should be a no surprise to anyone. That I, I don't know that a, a union has ever backed a Republican president. That's good news. It's good news. But we talk about, um, I mean, when we talk about screens, our name is behind the screen. So it is a hot topic about, you know, auditions. And interestingly enough, I was just in so uh, the Orchestra Personnel Manager Conference that is happening right now. And obviously, it's, it's all remote. So we did it all on Zoom. Wait, that ha- you were doing that today? Yeah. Yeah, today oh was the gosh. last day. It was, was like um, every week now for the, about a month or so. Cool. Yeah, and it was great. Um, we were supposed to be in, in Cincinnati, but we couldn't. Um, so we're, gonna, we're postponing that uh, until next year. But, um, you know, talking about auditions um, and having the screen up uh, throughout all the rounds. So, like, a lot of orchestras will actually have the screen come down in a final round. And I think the only one, well, that's not true. There are, there are a number of orchestras that, that are now keeping that up throughout the finals. Mm-hmm. They'll choose a person without ever seeing them. There's only a handful, maybe, maybe 10 in, in the United States at the most, I think. I mean, that's the point of the screen. It's 100% the point of the screen. So the screen, so for those of you, so like, what, 70 years ago or something like that was when the screen was introduced because uh, women were not getting hired in orchestras. It was just a bunch of dudes playing in mm-hmm. orchestras. So they, they put up a screen and all of a sudden all these women started winning auditions. So the, the idea, the thought process is, well, let's keep it up for all the rounds because we want to eliminate any sort of any sort of biases that could happen when the screen comes down and you see someone and you're now judging that person whether you want to or not um, with your eyes instead of your ears Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of conversation a lot of talk about that is there any movement though like i mean it's pretty courageous to like offer someone a contract sight unseen like i love that i think that's Awesome. It's and the only industry that'll ever do that. I think people take classical music, or at least on a superficial level, to be this real, like, stuffy, mm-hmm. elitist, elitist thing. And to yeah. me, that would be one thing I would point to to say that it's not at all that. Is like, look how cool this industry is. They're hiring people without ever getting a look at them. You would want to brag about the fact that you're hiring people sight unseen as opposed to have that be some sort of a negative thing. That's exciting. Yeah, sure. I think that, I think the, the, the idea of being, you know, classical music and classical musicians, uh, being kind of at an arm's length and being this, you know, they, they have this impression 
it does come from way back. I mean, look at like somebody like I mean the story that you hear of of uh, of Beethoven who. Was it Beethoven who who would go to to somebody's place to perform? I don't know if it was Beethoven or not. I couldn't remember, but they were like, "Oh, we'll go around the back." He's like, "I'm not going around the back. I'm going through the oh. front door." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know. So, but but there was there are you know there are musicians that are very much you know very kind of proper and and they don't look. I think classical musicians are not the best at social interaction with others <laughs> because. Think of think of a musician, you know, and their entire lives are spent in a practice room by themselves. We've talked to we've talked to some of the the uh, some of our guests, and depending on where they're sit, like a concert master is required to do these kind of outreach and talk to people and go to dinners and these donor events and things like that. That's part of the gig, but a section player maybe not so much. So I don't think people are they have. Um, I think audience doesn't have that interaction with with musicians, and they see them as one way. But in reality, I think we're just we want you know we want to be loved, and we want we want respect, and we're a little weird. But <laughs> <laughs> right there is another thing that appealed to me about doing this podcast is actually taking people that may not get a chance to talk about their experiences and talk about their music making and put them in front of a microphone and give them an, you know, an opportunity mm-hmm. to do, to do just that. Like Rebecca, for example. Yeah. That was the interview that I was thinking about when I asked you if your mom listened because my mom was very impressed with her. Oh, good. Yeah. She loved it. <laughs> yeah. I should, I should find out if my mom listens. Yes, please do. And if any of you want to get in touch with us, we have an email address now. I mean, we've had it, but no one knows it. So that, that's kind of like not <laughs> Just like nobody one. knows us. We just assume everybody knows things about us. Yeah, and that you're going to reach out and interact with us. It's screenisup at gmail.com. Screen is up. Not the screen. Nope. I think that was taken. And Yeah. And, and why, why is it screen is up and not behind the screen? Taken. Taken. All of them taken. So many screen industries have hogged all the good email addresses. So screen is up at Gmail. If you have a question for a past guest, we'll get it to them. If you have a question for JT or myself, I don't know what you could possibly want to ask me. Um, but if you do, I'll answer it. Oh, yeah, I'm sure people are very curious about you. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and um, you can also submit audio. We'll play it. Yes. Uh, that would be, be great because then you wouldn't have to hear us read your question. You could just send a voice memo that would be very cool so we'll do that that's always fun yeah i think it would be very cool i would love to hear just your thoughts about about how we're doing if you have any critique do you have any comments about about whoa, it whoa, 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 whoa. hey man you know we can always do better i swear if someone critiques <laughs> me you in particular <laughs> me it's okay i'm fine with it i'll just i'll just internalize that I'll just hold on to it forever. I'll think it's going to be great. So make sure you give me your name, email address, telephone number, so I know who to get in touch with when I uh, when I want a rebuttal. But uh, yeah, I would actually I would love to hear you know how we're doing. Yeah, if you have critiques for JT in particular, mm-hmm, send sure. them to Screen Is Up, and I'll make sure JT gets them. My picture, the picture on on, on Facebook that we use and Instagram. That picture was when I had that that super gnarly beard. Oh yeah, take another picture. Yeah, I'm, I, I've already asked. I've already asked Lisa. Okay, 
Good. Okay, so more headlines. This is new. I saw this. Uh, what was this website? ClassicFM.com reports. Research shows huge surge in millennials and Gen Zers streaming classical music. Wow, look at you on top of the the the, the news. What what is that yeah. about? Well, you know, current events, man. I have to do a little research for this. Oh, see, I do. I I research our guests. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep the headlines coming. Yeah. No, please do. That's awesome. The question is, what is Gen Z? That's oh, before millennials. Yes. Holy crap! Is that right. Wait, hold on. I just call anyone younger than me a millennial. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. So Gen Z was born. Gen Z was born between between 1997 and 2012, and millennials uh, are 81 to 96. What's 97? If someone was born in 97, how old would that make them? Is Nathaniel a Gen Z? Yeah, dude. Oh man, I'm sorry, Nathaniel. <laughs> I thought you were a millennial. <laughs> Come back when you're. He acts like a millennial. <laughs> he, he is. He's. He's. He's wise beyond his ages. I can't even believe it. I have. I have a daughter who is a millennial, and I have a daughter who is a Gen Z. Wow. So my daughter uh, is at the very. Yeah, you know, she was born in ninety three, ninety ninety four, something like that. Do you have an ex-wife that's a baby boomer? <laughs> well, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't even believe it. I don't even want to. My, my, I have, I have a, I have a twenty-six-year-old daughter. I, I, so I am only, that's I'm amazing. only thirty-five. Uh huh. And she's twenty-six. It's kind of crazy. She'll be twenty-seven in January. So the point of this is not to hear about how old I am or my kids. No, I meant the point of the headline. <laughs> you can talk about whatever you want. We got nothing but time here, buddy. Yeah. So it says classical music is becoming more popular among young people based on this streaming thing. And then they give some data that sort of backs it up. But I don't know. that It's a little sketchy for me. Do you think it's because of um, the time of COVID and they're listening to it more now because they're getting bored? Or Gen Zers and millennials are putting on this music in the background to like be soothing or relaxing or something like that i don't believe they're actively seeking out bach i just don't here's my theory they're getting older they're getting more sophisticated they're starting to be more curious about about concerts they're getting tired of going to bars and they're getting tired of going to you know big concerts and stuff like that yeah, so maybe they're sure. maybe you know they're they're classical curious do you think that orchestras are kind of missing the boat when they program these stupid <laughs> editorializing here those stupid <laughs> video game music concerts like do they really think that that's how they're going to draw in the young crowd no it's it's money oh it's are it, people I going mean, to those oh hell yeah oh see i'm missing the boat then i was i was when i worked in new orleans i was a popular programming manager so video games live mhm uh huge following and actually, Louisiana Philharmonic did the promo DVD of of video games live to send out uh, to you know to people. So whenever you, when any orchestra that does, if they still do the the DVD, which I'm not even sure they do, but if you do have a DVD, I think it is um, 
Louisiana Philharmonic, but it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's super loud and and, and crazy. But man, you you would fill you would fill two thousand seats easily. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We would do. I mean, movies. Movies nowadays. So we have an orchestra playing the the the, the music to a live um, feature film yeah. or something like that. Star Wars, whatever. Yeah, you know, I've done those. Indiana. It's fun. Yeah. It's cool, and people come to that. It is cool. Like that, I get. But just like playing video game themes, like yeah, they're Legend of I Zelda mean, the, the video or whatever. World is, the video game world is huge. I did Zelda. I did. Uh, yeah, I played Zelda Ugh. at the Art Center in Miami, and it was man. People people came in cosplay and everything. Oh. Yeah. So it's but like Miami, that's kind of that seems something that people would turn up for in Miami. It's like an event. Were <laughs> you talking about like somewhere in Iowa? I don't know. I just have always kind of had an issue with trying to rope in the young audience by like suckering them in with stuff like that. It just seems kind of I don't know if it's contrived or if it's fool's gold. Honestly, though, I think a lot of a lot of orchestras program pops because it it does bring in a lot of money. They could sell tickets, and then they can use that money to do you know the concerts that you know the yeah. the masterwork yeah. or whatever you that's, call it. That's certainly the argument to be made. Yeah, I mean, pops concerts are fun. They're great. Look, New World Symphony. We don't do we don't do pops. MTT Michael Tilson Thomas when he founded um, New World Symphony in the late eighties, it was he's always been asked like, why don't you do pops? He's like, they'll learn pops. When, when they leave here. This is a focus. This is an orchestral sure. academy we're, we're focusing on. But, I mean, I get, I get the New World um, Symphony fellows asking me all the time, why aren't we doing Pops concerts? It's, such a, it's, a, it's a different style and technique. Um, and now, I mean, even, even pop music, movie music, is, is getting right. added to lists. Right. You know, Harry Potter on, on some stuff. You know, anyway. I mean, I have no no problem whatsoever with Pops programming. It's usually, for me, this video game thing. When I see that, mm-hmm. it kind of makes my skin crawl a little bit. But if it's making money and, and funding Masterwork stuff that is, you know has new programming or, heaven forbid, like a new symphony or yeah. something, like, or if you're not composing for a film, is there any money to be made in classical music? That's a good question. We should get a we should get a uh, a composer on here. I mean, it just seems like the days of symphonies being commissioned like I, it's very rare. It is, but there there are well known living composers. Look, John Adams. There's a handful. Uh, there's a handful. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we can come up with a lot more. But um, Corleano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, look at like like somebody like um, Jessica Montgomery. I want to know. Who's your favorite living composer that isn't a film composer? And not to say that they couldn't have done a film or something, but just that that's not their primary source of income. I mean, honestly, like this Jessie Montgomery, I've never met her, but I've played um, one of her pieces called Voodoo Dolls Quartet. Mm-hmm. Super cool. I've heard um, I've heard a couple of her of her pieces. She's she's really good. I really like her. And not to say there's anything wrong with composing music for film. Like, that's not my point of this. I'm just right, saying, yeah. like, I wonder how much commissioning is going on anymore. Um, I'm, uh, I'm promoting Jessie Montgomery, as you can tell. She's, she's really cool. Oh, and she's, done, and she's done film music. Look at that. I did not know this. That's probably so, how she pays the bills. I wonder. We should have her on. Email us at screenisup <laughs> at gmail.com. Let us know you want to be on the show. <laughs> that's a good plug yeah 
No, you did you did well with that. Thanks. <laughs> All right, no, no, let's go back. So let me think about some other ones. Oh my gosh. No, I don't um, care about about the ones that you are going to say cuz I know all of them. Except for Okay, who who do you know? No, that's what I mean. Like I want to know some like fresh ones that no one's ever talked about that are actually making a living writing classical music. Do you know uh Gabriela Ortiz? No. There you go. Also another very fine uh composer. Okay. Um that's two women you gave me so far. Yeah. Well, they should be. There should be more of them um, that I shouldn't remember. What about uh, Zwillick? She's um, eighty-one years old now. Oh wow! But she would definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think she's won a Pulitzer, so she would definitely be mm-hmm. one that's living. And and I don't think she's known as a film composer. I could do some more research, but off the top of my head, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to pull them out. All right, so let us know. Screen is up. Also, screen is up. Yeah, if you're looking for a gig, the Moravian Philharmonic, principal cello, assistant principal cello, section viola, double bass, violin, all open. Have at it. Where is this? Moravia. Okay, where's Moravia? I don't know where it is. I gotta be honest. <laughs> Okay, so so speaking of that, um, there is one orchestra that I know of that will be doing uh, auditions, uh, upcoming auditions. Dallas Symphony oh. uh, has their principal horn audition uh, in September, and um, as of now, they're 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 going through with it. I mean, they're taking all the precautions and everything like that, and I think they're going to be sending out their um, uh, all those you know what they're what they're going to be doing as far as cleaning and everything you know to keep everyone safe. But yeah, they're they're moving forward. They're, and they're also playing. I know that they're doing small um, ensembles on stage. But I thought I saw that there was an, a feeling, at least in England, that parents didn't want their kids playing wind instruments right now because they thought it was unsafe. For the kid? Yeah. Like in an orchestra, they feel like it's safe to be around other kids blowing in an instrument? No, just like in school, like playing the recorder. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe people are freaking out, but come to think of it, for example, University of Miami is back at school. They're they're teaching live. Yeah. If it were me, if I was a flute professor, I'm not sure I want to be in a studio closed door for an hour. I agree. And you're a bassoonist, and bassoon is the instrument that produces the least amount of aerosol. Oh, really? So you would be okay. This has yeah. been studied? Oh, hugely, yeah. There's many studies now. Oh, There's, this oh, is fantastic. Many, many, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so bassoon is cool. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think there would be too much. But flute is is a big one. That they, that produces, I think, probably the most of, of the wind instruments. I mean, not a lot of that air is actually even going into the instrument. Right, it's, it's not so being you're trapped. just blowing exactly. it around, Yeah, <laughs> crying out loud. There's a thing called the wind defender. And what's that? It's it's a it's like a it's it goes on the mouthpiece the head joint of a flute, and it's a cover so it covers the uh, the 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 blowhole so the so your wind <laughs> whatever the blow hell it's called blow- <laughs> uh huh what is it called flute players email us at screen is up because <laughs> we're so bad it it covers the it covers the whole the. I don't know, and it, it, it stops the air from going across. It's it's a it's wind dash d dash fender wind def, wind defender. 
Is there a name for for that hole? <laughs> it's the blowhole. Oh God, help us if it's the blowhole. Honestly, I don't know, but it stands to reason that like buzzing into a you know into a brass mouthpiece would be aerosol aerosolizing some stuff, huh? Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm looking this up. It's called it's called the embouchure hole. Okay, so it's just a hole. Sorry. <laughs> I got I got into it. Take it, it back about blowhole. Don't call it that. I take it back. So yeah, teachers are back, at least uh, in South Florida, which is right. you know, I guess it's better for the students, you know, as long as everyone's staying healthy. But you heard about um, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. They had a, a big outbreak, and now everybody's gone. They were there for what a week. Was that what it was? Yeah, and then they were like, all right, recalling everyone. Yeah. So I'm not sure where, I'm not sure if they had to go home or if they had to just go back to their dorms or what. I feel like this is going to be the trend that you're going to see a lot of this. I agree. Um, I know that uh, Juilliard, they're going to be virtual. Um, they're doing it in blocks. So they're virtual block one and then kind of a hybrid block two where, where students can choose to, to, uh, to stay home or, or come to school. But uh-huh. anyway, they are going to have people show up and every student that goes to Juilliard in block one or whatever it is. If they show up, if they're there, they have their own room. They have their own dorm room that has a bathroom. Mm-hmm. They have to be prepared to stay in that room in quarantine for 14 days. They can't leave. They can't do their laundry. They can't go out and get snacks. They have to have enough underwear for 14 days. They will be delivered food, the meals, you know, three times a day. Are you sure? But they have to me? make sure that they have enough. No, they have to make, you know, if they want snacks or anything like that, they got to they got to plan ahead for 14 days and they'll be monitored. If they do have, you know, end up getting sick or they show up and then they get sick, there's isolation rooms that they're that they have available and all that stuff. Now, the the good news about that about Juilliard is that they're well below 1% positive now in in New York City. So, Yes, the New York is going in the right direction. They're probably in one of the safer places that they could be. Which is crazy, considering this was the epicenter. Yeah. Now, here in South Florida, in Miami, they were looking at 20% positive mm-hmm. testing. I mean, it's yeah. two, three weeks ago. It's insanity. Yeah. And that now it's finally kind of calming down, but we're still up, you know, 8 9%, which is, compared to 20, it sounds awesome, but it ain't below one. Nope. No, it's not. You know, I hope the precautions keep that eventuality from happening so that kids aren't stuck in their room for two weeks. That sounds terrible. I can't imagine myself at 18 years old going to college for the first time. And like, if I'm like stuck in my room, I, I mean, I haven't showered in a couple of days and, I, and I'm an adult. So <laughs> I can't imagine being 18. We can edit that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on it. Yeah. But but for real though, like there, I mean, those doors open. There's going to be some green funk coming out of there. Just yeah, you know, it's like opening the tomb of 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 uh, uh, you know Indiana Jones and the Ark. You know, faces are going to melt off. Like you say, under the best of circumstances, those rooms get pretty vile. Perfect example: when I went to Tanglewood, man, it was not a pretty scene in my room. Mm. Me and my roommate, it was it was interesting. Um, I won't get into it, but I can. I I'll just say one thing: his mom sent him a, a like a you know these a care package and it had the salami in it and we 
ate some of the salami and then forgot about the salami and found the salami at the end of the summer. There was some sh- growing that I don't, I mean, <laughs> we, yeah, we should have sent it off to a lab. It was nasty. Well, what do you think about this format? You like doing this or no? I, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. All right, well, we should probably quit while we're ahead. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, that story, <laughs> the salami story, definitely, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll ride that out. <laughs> yeah, and so this is just a trial anyway. So we're we're fleshing it out. Now, we'll have more slick production on this, and we actually have an episode coming out tomorrow, so this wouldn't come out till some point after that. So maybe this will be stale by the time anyone hears it. Maybe all those Moravian Philharmonic jobs will be taken. Maybe Dallas Symphony will not have their audition. Yeah. So bear with us until we get on the right schedule. Yeah, for sure. Oh, no, I got I know. That'll be nice. It'll be good to, you know, to do this um, without the, the uh, auspice of, of COVID hanging over us. I know. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. It'll happen. Yeah. All right, brother. Soon enough. All right, man. Good to see you. You too. So everybody, just remember, um, send us an email. Uh, screen is up at gmail.com. Take a listen to our our, uh, our podcast. We had a lot of really good um, episodes um, so far, and we'll have a lot more. We've got, a, we've got some really great uh, people coming up. We've got um, Stephen Merkel, mm-hmm. uh, Concertmaster Phoenix Symphony coming. Uh, we've got... Um, Ryan Roberts, Oboe and English Horn of New York Philharmonic. Um, Andrew Brady. Andrew Brady, Principal Bassoon of Atlanta Symphony. Natsuki. Natsuki. Yep. Natsuki Kumagai from um, Minnesota Orchestra Violinist. Minnesota Orchestra. And uh, John Wilson. John Wilson, of course. It's going to be really great. John Wilson's pianist. Awesome pianist. But anyway... Take a listen. Um, write some reviews on on the on, on the pod on the what is it the wherever uh, the podcast. Yeah, just do it. Just write I'd love something. To hear about it. I'd love to hear from some people. Oh boy! Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Most importantly, everyone. Tell your mother about this. This is nice to listen to. Really, we are very nice, and we bleep, <laughs> and we bleep. Natsuki. That will be bleepapalooza. Yes, definitely. Take <laughs> that was so great. She did not hold back. I love that about her. Yeah, it was awesome. Good talking to you. You too. We'll talk soon. You bet. <laughs>